Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James, and as ever, this podcast is brought to you by The Athletic UK. And tonight we'll be discussing Fulham's one-all draw against Liverpool, the champions at Craven Cottage. And it was a performance we can all be thoroughly proud of. It probably should have been three points. We'll certainly take a point given the opposition. Here to discuss the match with me today is Drew Heatley. Hello, up yours, Carragher, and up yours, Klopp. <laughs> Very nice. Cam Ramsey, hello. Evening, Shaggers. And <laughs> Izzy Barger, how you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'll keep my PG. I don't feel like I can match either of those. <laughs> Probably for the best, Izzy. Probably for the best. Well, loads to discuss. As I say, all the fallout from the one-all draw tonight is Fulham. Move up to eight points for the season. It definitely, though, could have been ten. Uh, and also we'll do a little preview of Brighton and answer some of your questions later in the podcast. Um, we'll do some three-word reviews. Obviously, when we record straight after the match, it doesn't give us loads of time to, to go through them. So uh, I had a quick look, though, just before we started the podcast. So starting with Felix, AK's firearm. Uh, we will come to the penalty instant. It was a very harsh one indeed. Uh, Man like Angisa said, one word robbed which I thought was uh, very, very nice. Elijah said, who's down now? Uh, there's a lot of Carragher ones, particularly on Instagram, and uh, some of them just can't be read on the podcast. But uh, Colin Fraser, 8370 on Instagram, said pushovers no longer. And uh, Ishan MS on Instagram said, lads showed Carragher. Uh, Drew, let's start with you. Um, it was an interesting lineup, not really for who came in and out of the, of the first team. It was Lamina in for Reed, which is kind of a like for like, but no Mitrovic in the squad was the initial shock news. And we won't dwell too much on Mitrovic today because much more important things happened. But I mean, what is going on there? Yeah, I was, it raised a few eyebrows, especially as, you know, we've known that he's been on the bench the last few games and there's always, then it starts the rumour mill going. But I, I choose on this occasion to just sort of take the club at face value. Uh, they say he's injured. I'm, I kind of feel like that might be the case. Um, you know, he's not going to be happy with the way things have gone. But I've said it before that, you know, Scott's experimenting has sort of paid off and and he's almost not, he, he hasn't really got room to complain about it at the moment. Now, if things start going uh, the opposite direction, um, to be honest, he'll, he's going to be brought back in. His time at the club is, is, is in my opinion, not over. Uh, but there was no sort of shock, the fact that he wasn't starting today, certainly. I mean, Izzy, Scott said on Thursday that he was fit. There's a picture of him warming up um with only an hour before the game so i don't know do you buy the club's line that he's injured yeah i think i think this is an important issue and kind of with it coming so suddenly today i definitely wasn't expecting it um so i would like to say you know believe what the club has said is true but what i do know is kind of someone close to Mitrovic has kind of implied that you know Mitrovic is is a is a starting man if he's and he kind of expected to start if if he's not in that starting 11 then um he's not happy about it and and I actually heard someone say that if the person that's close to Mitrovic to kind of say that if Mitrovic wasn't going to be in it he was going to be very um angry at Scott about it but yeah I, I think I agree with Drew like Mitrovic's time isn't over and Scott has said he's got a big role to play in the year ahead of us I think the rumor mill, rumor mill does kind of start turning but maybe he has been a little bit of a bust up in this occasion because to not even be on the bench was was really shocking for me scoops fc here on fulhamish um cam so we came, went into the game and we didn't miss mitrovic at all it was a, it was a flying start from the whites the first half hour was as far as being a fan watching football goes perfection and with fans in the ground just to make it that extra bit sweeter no of course and the fans certainly made a huge difference to the performance especially coming out of the blocks we uh we raced into the ascendancy and really put Liverpool up against the wall. And I think that continued throughout the game anyway. But um, going back to Mitrovic, I don't think we've really missed him at all. He's a player for me that has a lot to prove now. You know, um, that double prong attack that we've got up top uh, with Lukman and Caviero works so well because they're so dynamic, full of pace, where uh, Mitrovic, yes, he's got a lot of power and he's 
you know, brimming with prowess. He's just lacks that uh, cutting edge in terms of uh, his versatility and pace. So if Mitrovic is going to get back into this squad, then he's certainly got a shift. Uh, even Caballero, who has certainly come on leaps and bounds after being given a new berth up top. And uh, also Lookman, who for me was an outstanding performer today. He was uh, non-stop, um, like, a, like a tiny little freight train running into every single 50-50 and uh, instance where he could potentially make something happen. So it was extremely pleasing to the eye to see us perform in such a way, even without Mitrovic. Um, Drew, we, we really started brilliantly. Cavalero had two early chances. They, they were well saved, but but straight at Allison. Um, the second one actually might have been just offside. I think if it, if it went to VAR, but you could tell from kind of the first five minutes that. Fulham actually were really, really in this game. And we, I think I'm so panicked watching Fulham at the moment in the first 15 minutes because I'm just desperate for us not to concede. But in this occasion, there was no danger of us conceding at all. It was more surprising that we didn't take the lead. Yeah, the front foot is not a particularly, uh, it's not particularly a position that we were used to being in as fans, but it was, uh, it was just so bright. And I honestly think that the fans had something to do, a, a huge part to play in that. I, I, I was the other day on Twitter welling up at, uh, the Wickham manager clapping a couple hundred fans at their ground, and then, <laughs> then to see it at the cottage, I was I thought this this has got to be affecting the players. And and you're right, Cavalier had a couple of chances at the beginning, uh, but he suits this new look sort of tactic that Scott's been deploying because it's all about industry, and it's typified by Decadova Reed the way that he's just the Duracell bunny of the side, but. Cavalera also has that industry. He has that. He he will try his hardest. He'll always run. He might lack that final that final product, that end product, but he he really does uh, he don't, really does give it his all. So he kind of suits this this new uh, this new star that we're that we're playing. And uh, it's a shame that he couldn't put one either side of of Allison early doors. I mean, is he? It's got to be a penalty for me against Cavalero. Uh, one of those, a, a bit similar to uh, Decadova Reed's penalty that was given against Leicester. I did not notice it at the time. I just assumed it was a, a goal kick or a corner, whatever. But I am really stunned that Andre Mariner is called over to the VAR monitor. I was, I, I was saying to my dad, I was like, it's a penalty. He's not going to go over to that monitor, look at that evidence and not give a penalty. I can't see why he's stuck with his original decision there i th i think that was exactly why he stuck with it because he it was like a dent in his ego he got he got told to come over to the monitor and apparently he's only the second ref that stuck with his decision since looking at the monitor i feel like mm. it was a pride thing he wanted to stick with it but there were how many replays was everyone getting i think everyone at the end of it was like oh yeah that was a penalty even graham sooner saying yeah it was a penalty there's contact with the foot at first and then it ends up Cav kind of kicking the ball away. I guess at first, possibly it seemed like Cav kind of maybe shielded the ball with his own foot. But when you have that many replays, that is a penalty. Ezzy is 100% right, I think, in the terms of the referees are under siege by VAR like as well. Like their their integrity is being constantly called into question by these, uh, by these decisions. So... I, I thought it was only a matter of time before an official sort of tries and stands his ground and says, actually, no, I made the right call uh, and sticks to it. And and now we've had more than just the one that's done it so far, which is a staggeringly low, low number. I fully expect to see more refs do it. Cam, your thoughts on the pen? No, for me, um, the way that Fabinho kind of levered himself into, into Cav, uh, it wasn't a natural way for Caviero to fall anyway. And yeah, of course, it took a lot of uh, scrutinising to basically work out where the contact was. For me, I must admit, actually, I'm going to you know eat my words a little bit here, but I thought it wasn't a penalty to start with. You know, I, I thought it was a fairly it was a fairly uh, fairly clever challenge from Fabinho itself. But after um, yeah, after just dissecting a little further, there was definite contact and um, Caballero's uh, foot that was, you know, it was going to be the standing foot got taken from underneath him. And um, it just seems like a little bit of a Premier League bias for me. And that might just be being a little bit salty and maybe a little bit annoyed by the fact that, you know, we've had our luck with penalties, obviously, and we've had our um, disadvantages too, but it just seems like such a top six bias. Um, and obviously, we'll talk about it later on, but the penalty that was given against Kamara just seems very, very unfair in my opinion as well. But that's just how it is. I, I, would, I would say that as far as the Fulhamish WhatsApp was concerned, it was far from unanimous that it was a penalty. I, I went straight on there, like, defo a pen. Um, 
with the old gentleman gym eyes that I have when <laughs> watching Fulham. Um, but, you know, Jack and Dom um, both saying they didn't think it was a penalty, would be disappointed if that was given against us. So I don't know. I guess the only thing that you can to see the defense for it is maybe not clear and obvious error that and yeah. I guess that is what VAR was there for but as far as I'm concerned his standing foot's been taken away and as we saw with the Kamara penalty that was given in my book I'm watching football just from a completely subjective point of view that is more of a penalty than or more of an offense that, than what Kamara did but let's come on to the Kamara penalty later and Cam Let's talk through Bobby Decadover-Reed's goal. Lovely pass from Lookman. Kind of all the Liverpool players were, were looking to spring a counter-attack and we won the ball back. Lovely little side rule pass to uh, to Decadover-Reed. But he had a lot to do, especially to beat a goalkeeper like Alisson from there. Well, of course. And if you're going to pick one player in this squad at the moment to, um, you know, to rifle the ball past one of the best keepers in the league, it would be BDR. Um, when he's placed in that position, you could see just by the way he planted himself, um, just set himself for the for the contact, and um, he was ready to rip that pass and um, into into the left hand side of the goal. Um, and it kind of it's kind of testament to the rebirth he's had in the squad. I think he's brim, brimming with confidence, and uh, it's not just down to his work rate and his endeavour. It's also the fact that he is still a striker and he is still someone with with, with deadly prowess and um, you know that eye for eye for a goal. And uh, he couldn't have struck it any better. I mean, there there are a lot of keen football players within the Fulhamish uh, the Fulhamish lineup that would dream of uh, hitting a ball that well on a Sunday morning, but it never comes off. And that is just down to work on the training field and just being naturally gifted at, um, at your profession. And I can't, you know, I, I I can't lord I can't lord the finish enough to be quite honest with you. It, it was just sublime and. And like you say, it was a well worked move as well. I think we just sp- we sprung their trap very very um, you know acutely. It was uh, something which obviously had to come from impulse in term opposed to anything that's worked on the training field and we executed it perfectly. So from from a fan's perspective and from a neutral's perspective, if um, there are any out there watching the game, it was a, it was a textbook goal and uh, absolutely beautiful to see. Drew, there's a lot of players this year that are really proving maybe us as fans wrong and pundits. And Decadover reads one of them. So last season, he played 44 times for Fulham. He scored six goals, got three assists. He's played a quarter of that this season in the Premier League and already has four goals and some terrific performances to his name as well. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about how Anguissa was was wrongly judged during his season in the Premier League. And Cavalero seems to be coming back to prove a few people wrong as well. But Decadover reed is up there he was he was maligned last season really and and at the start of this one as well yeah it's he's such a he's a player who thrives on confidence for me I you know last season there were games where we were all just when we were allowed crowds in the in the ground we were all almost trying to suck the ball in and uh, ourselves because everybody wanted him to score because you could see that you know the the uh, the passion and the sort of the 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 endeavor was there but he just he just couldn't do it for love nor money and now you see he's in this new role that, that, you know, completely sort of has me doff my cap to him because he works, he has so much to do and he works so hard in it and he can see he's thriving in it. And it's, uh, and it's sort of helping him when he's, when he's, when he's going forward. The, um, the first Cav chance, you just wish that he was that, uh, Decodobo Reed got on the end of that, uh, Loftus cheek ball, because I think we would have gone up, uh, one up even earlier. Um, but it's, yeah, it's great to see from, from Decodobo Reed because him and, uh, Cav and Knockart were these, you know, loan to buy options where, you know, if we couldn't try before we buy, we would have said there were great deals at the beginning. But when you see, you know, a player across the season, you're naturally going to have a lot more to say about them and, and you're going to see their weaknesses and their strengths a lot, a lot clearer. And he was sort of tarred with the same brushes as, as Knockart and, and Cav can be quite, uh, quite black and white sometimes. So it's quite hot and cold. So yeah, it's nice to see Bobby Decorelli over sort of break out on his own and prove his worth. And, and Lord knows we, we need to, everybody to sort of pull their weight this year. And on the other side, Izzy, Lookman had a really, really good first half but against uh, against Trent and Jones. He just, just every time he got the ball, he looked like he was going to do something dangerous with it, basically. Yeah, for me, he's just our golden boy at the moment. You know, he was he was, he was, was creating chances, but he was also having a go for himself. He's, he's kind of got that trademark sort of shimmying up the left-hand side, kind of his little twinkle toes, dancing and out. And, and players, big teams don't know how to deal with him. And, and he unleashes that sort of, again, that trademark kind of low drive. 
from that left, which causes them so many problems. And I think quite a few players were having to fill in because um, Curtis Jones, Trent at times, you know, it was causing them a real headache. And, and that that kind of uh, look and build up is our real danger area for me and where so many peach chances come from. And it seems to be when we are playing so well is when that um, Lookman charging up the left-hand side is flowing so well. And for me, it's kind of bearing the fruits of that, really. I mean, second half came along. Um, Fulham did well to go in half-time, 1-0 up. There was a couple of chances towards the end of the first half. Mane and particularly Salah. You'd have thought if Salah was banging form that he might have tucked that away, but it went the wrong side of the post, fortunately, for Fulham. And Drew, second half was was a different game, wasn't it? It was it was a lot of you know backs to the wall, all men behind the ball for Fulham. I guess one disappointment for the game is that we couldn't really take advantage of their injury problems. They, they already had enough injury problems going into this game, particularly in defence. And then when you have a back, centre-back pairing of Henderson and Fabinho, two centre midfielders by trade, it was just a bit of a shame that Fulham weren't able to kind of capitalise on, on what is a, a pretty makeshift Liverpool defence. Yeah, absolutely. There is that side of things. And I think, but as well, you know, much like the Leicester game, it's how you sort of react in that second half after you've had, after you've had the break. Okay, you're, you're, you're up, you're winning in the game. And for, for a team like Fulham, you're, you know, we all feel like it's almost too early. <laughs> you know, you almost want us to keep it level until the last, you know, last minute and, and nick it at the, at the death. So when you, when you get a first half goal, particularly against the, the Champions of England, you, you know, you, you know that there's going to be a whole lot of hard work to do. So there is that one side of things where you're you're sort of looking and saying, oh, what if we could have just done you know one thing more, one step further? But actually, to you know to come away with, with a point which could have easily have been three, going you know going up within the first what twenty five minutes or whatever it was, uh, I think uh, you know tremendous credit because if you just think about what two months ago what it would have been like, you know we wouldn't even got that what we wouldn't even gone up, we would have you know probably finished the game three or four nil. Uh, loss so the fact that we managed to uh, take that second half and although you know yes okay we lost that half 1-0 it was still it was always going to be for us how did we react when we conceded because I, I just think no matter what I think it was almost inevitable that Liverpool were going to get a goal even though they didn't threaten it just for me it's how we reacted to something going not going our way and uh, and we were resolute and we held out and for me that's just as impressive as as the goal itself uh, Cam, Alphonse Ariola had another good game. I, I, I feel like I will say that every week that I ever host a podcast, but you know, particularly the save from Henderson in the second half, it is, is a brilliant pour out to his right hand side, but also he was so commanding from crosses. So many times the ball came into the box. He rose highest and claimed the ball, no fuss, distributed it well. I have so much respect and you know it's Marek Rodak's birthday today and we've had this debate all season about whether it should be Rodak or Areola but but right now I mean I, I would honestly think he's top 10 goalkeepers in the Premier League right now surely easily and it seems that every time I write my articles I tend to um, reserve a little spot for Areola because he's been a revelation this season but it comes to no surprise when you take of a player of his calibre coming from, you know, Real Madrid on loan the season before to PSG and obviously to to lowly little Fulham. He's going to heighten the uh, the calibre within the squad and he's certainly done that. And uh, Marek Rodak's birthday today, of course, he would have been uh, loving a, a start against Liverpool, but Ariola's certainly uh, certainly done a service to to the Slovakian goalkeeper and I, I, I can't think of many better stoppers in the Premier League uh, currently um, other than Alisson of course I thought both goalkeepers today were in outstanding fettle but it's a uh, real credit to the keeper that we have between the sticks because he saves us so many points and he was a saving grace for us today as he was in the last couple of weeks he has been obviously um, our number one and I, 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 I honestly you know I haven't really processed the game properly yet but the, the saves he made they're just as good as a goal and you know we're moving in the right direction if after a game I'm sat here and I'm actually feeling quite deflated in the fact that we got a point against the champions and uh, that point was um, you know that was that was pulled and palmed away by Ariola, of course who uh, kept Liverpool at bay so completely completely overwhelmed by him and hats off to the guy he's been he's been a, a real uh, breath of fresh air uh, Izzy let's come on to 
Liverpool's goal and they won a pretty dangerous free kick. Uh, I think Cavalero fouled Curtis Jones just on the edge of the box and it looked like we'd survived what was a pretty precarious moment and uh, and it hit the wall and I think we even managed to stop it going out for a corner. So we, we breathe a sigh of relief and then you just hear the horrible word from Carragher on the, on the, on the box going, <laughs> Penalty. It's a penalty, Liverpool. (laughs) It's a Christmas miracle. Um, (laughs) It's an accent, isn't it? So, and you watch the replay and I don't know what to make of it, Izzy. I kind of just watched it and went, (sighs) I I just sighed because I know the rules, but also in my book, there's no way, it's just, it's it's not not enough an offence and and Liverpool have, have literally been given a get out of, jail free card 100% and hearing you guys do those Carragher impressions has given me like PTSD it's just horrible <laughs> isn't it it was it was like I guess the way the rules are you know we know the rules the t-shirt rule now the arms slightly raised it, it seemed glued to his body from my opinion but I guess now with the rules, it's always likely to be given, you know, whether it's a penalty in the spirit of the game, I guess it's another matter. But Mo Salah took the kick and with Liverpool, with that Liverpool kind of had their point. But I just, it's just so harsh. But I guess, I guess with us, VAR decisions have and things like that have gone our way against Leicester and things like that. So, um I guess it's just the nature of the Premier League at the minute. And I kind of, I don't want to be one of those people that's like, oh God, VAR penalty decisions, whether are killing the game or whatever, because I've just come away from that feeling so good. But um, yeah, it's deflating. And I don't want to hear you guys do those character impressions again. It gives me um, shivers. <laughs> to be honest though, I mean, just touching on it, I, I think the rules are so vague. You know, I understand that your arms can't be above shoulder height or whatever, but just for pure biomechanics, you know, for a person as, as a human to actually levitate and jump, you have to build, you know, some some amount of thrust, and that comes from your arms. You know, you you, you can't just jump like a like a pencil. You know, it doesn't work like that. You've got to try and try try and you know, flap flap your arms a little bit like a bird, like for example. I don't know. I'm just rambling again now, but at the end, you know, it just seems so strange that um, you know referees don't take that into account. To jump, you kind of need to. Um, adjust your body in such a way where your limbs are going to be out you know they they are going to be protruding a little bit it just seems so strange I guess Drew is one thing you know I I get your point there Cam but we're now at the stage of football where we have someone lying down on the ground to stop free (laughs) kicks going under the wall it's all about minute (laughs) details in football and when you're jumping in a wall We've we've seen Spurs players charging down shots this year with their hands behind their backs. They are the details that you sometimes need to win Premier League football games. And Fulham, you know, we need to maybe have a rule. We have we we have our hands behind our backs when when we're in the wall for for a free kick. Yes, it might mean we can't jump that, you know, extra half an inch, but we'll stop a penalty. You're you're 100 right. It's it's now such a fine margins game. The the set pieces, the free kicks, that you know he, he his arm was not by his side. It wasn't behind him. It was halfway up. It, he turned around. He for me, it's annoying. It's a penalty because of because of that. Like I know that now you know it's clear as mud. The new rules and so many been so many amends and whatnot. But it, it is it is exactly how you say it's the fine margins. You can't you can't do it. It's just unfortunate. You know, will Parker be annoyed with with Kamara for doing that? Probably probably not. I think it's just one of those one of those things. But I think yeah, going forward, it's one of it, you have to say right. There are so many uh, things pulled up on VAR, and this this one wasn't even done. But you know, handball has been a hot topic since day one of this season. You have to eliminate any chance that you possibly can that you'll be caught up in one of these sort of decisions, and and we didn't help ourselves by the way that Kamara was, and if a, a, you know, Tossin as well had his had his hands up, had uh, his arms in the way as well, so it could have easily have been him. It's just you know, for me, on a, it's a bit sad that it was Kamara because he's quite an easy scapegoat sometimes, and I think um, I always feel bad when something happens to him because I'm like, <laughs> you know, it, it's a bit when it rains it pours for him, but I, I, you know, it could have been anyone, and it's just one of those things where you just have to eliminate that that danger. Yeah, and and sadly now football is in such a state where we look at the minutiae. Look, it's the same with goalkeepers when they're 
saving penalties, keep your feet on the line because you're not going to get away with it. Do I think it's a bonkers rule that's just that it is is petty as as hell? Yeah, I do. But you, we, this is the rule, the game that we're playing, and sadly we we have to stick to those rules. Speaking of um, penalty saving, do we think that Ariola could have done a little bit better? It wasn't the world's greatest penalty from Salah. I know that Dom, um, who was doing the Twitter for Fulhamish said that, you know, Ariola possibly should be saving that. My first instinct is to think that's harsh. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I, I actually thought Ariola did really well. Um, but maybe maybe I saw it in a completely different light to Dom. But I, I was like, oh, I thought he did really well. Like I thought it was like frustrating. It was a shame that he didn't save it. And that would have just been a bonus. I thought, oh, once again, Ariola's got a, got a fingertip to it. And I thought he was just showing how good he was. I thought that was, I think it's a bit harsh to say that maybe he should have done better. But Maybe I was viewing it in a different way to Dom. I don't know. I think he was taken by surprise. You expect a player like Salah to aim for a corner and he kind of just lashed it down the middle. And that, for me, you, you had to adjust. He had to adjust himself to um, to get down low centrally where I think he was expecting to you know, propel himself to either one, one side of the goal. And he was very, very unlucky. I mean, desperately unlucky not to get um, cleaner contact with a palm on the ball. So... Um, I do think it was unlucky. I don't think he should have done better, though, because, um, yeah, I just don't see it that way. I, I, I generally think that it was a very, very difficult shot to stop, really. I think um, it's easy to get it's easy to get caught up in the Fulham mindset, but uh, it is actually um, the, 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 the advantage is very much with the penalty taker. Uh, and so I think it was, yeah, uh, <laughs> Ariola was never expected to save it, but I think he was just a bit caught, a bit, caught a bit off guard and it was uh, Salo would probably be breathing a sigh of relief there. It is the school of thought of when you bag it low and hard, even just down the middle or slightly off to the middle, they're very hard to save. It was shades of Beckham 2002 against Argentina, low, hard, down the middle, not the greatest penalty, but they more often than not go in and they're very hard to save, even like Ariola in this case, who didn't actually dive one way or the other and still couldn't get to it just through sheer force, you know, a ball being hit that hard from 12 yards, unless it happens to just fortunately hit you. It's very, very difficult to save. Let's look at the wider picture then of, of this point. And Drew, we heard Carragher's comments at the start of the season where he says that he's never been more certain of anything in, in his life. And we now sit two points outside the relegation zone. We don't know what the Burnley score is because it's uh, being played now as 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 we record this podcast. But we, we easily could have beaten Liverpool today. Things didn't quite go our way. But we've come out of a sequence of three games with Leicester, Man City and Liverpool and got four points. And my Lord, we'd have taken that two weeks ago. Oh, absolutely. And this is this is the thing. The the. The upturn in our performance in our performances every game has been gradual, but it's been marked. And now, uh, you know, I've gone from you know beginning of the season, sort of in the back of my mind, thinking about Derby's points total, to now thinking, actually, there's absolutely no reason why we can't finish midway uh, up the bottom half of the table. You know, I'm not getting delusions of grandeur here. I'm saying, wouldn't it be great to finish 13th or 14th and not be looking over our shoulders for the final five, six games of the season? Because we're more, we're more than good enough. Uh, you know, every, everybody's been putting in a shift the last few games. Uh, and even from, you know, you can stretch it back to sort of like the last half dozen where, you know, we've really started to turn what, what was a sinking ship. Um, and, you know, so today is just really the icing on the cake. And I think Scott said something similar in, in his post-match uh, comments. And, you know, people like Carragher, nowadays, pundits, most of them are just shock jocks designed to get little Twitter clips that they can use. So he'll be, um, I'm absolutely certain he'll be made to eat his words because the the side that he saw that day against Aston Villa, uh, it, it, there is, well, there's no comparison to the one that we saw today and the one that we've seen recently. And Cam, it's 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 remarkable how this team, which is so new in so many positions, within such a short space of time, is competing with the Premier League champions. Yes, a slightly depleted Premier League champions, but still, like went to Man City last week and didn't disgrace themselves. Went up to Leicester and won. Like it's remarkable from Scott. It's absolutely remarkable, isn't it? Well, Scott Parker's been touting this uh, mentality for a while now. We've heard him in um, post and pre-match um, interviews, you know, he's, he's always talking up the uh, team spirit and uh, the togetherness within the camp, even in those direst, 
you know, initial phases in the season where we couldn't buy a goal for love nor money. Um, but he was always um, he was he was always positive about the feel good factor within the camp, and it's certainly starting to uh, come to the fore on the pitch now. Um, and, and today, I think that is one thing that is going to see us through this season, much like it did with Sheffield United last season. I'm not saying that we're going to aim for a, you know a top ten finish or uh, even even a you know eleventh place finish or whatever. However, they finished last season, but it will certainly do us well because you look at the teams below us. And, um, you know, the results have been going against them. There seems to be a little dejection amongst uh, amongst the chasing pack that are, of course, um, baying for our position of 17th. But I, 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 once again, I was, I was extremely uh, won over by the way that we just conducted ourselves and I have been for a while now. You know, even when we were chasing the game, even at Man City last week, uh, there was an undying attitude within the squad and that's something that Scott Parker certainly drummed into us and you've got to give the guy a real, real bit of you know, big slice of credit because he's worked with a team which is need building up after, you know, the heroics of last season, a very, very short turnaround and you've got to get them ready for a real battle in the Premier League. And I think that the, uh, you know, the foundations are starting to form and we're going to reap the benefits from it too. I think for me, it's kind of from the offset with with the success, it's kind of the starts with the with the team selections now and there's this element of kind of ruthlessness from Scott Parker now and this and as fans we're kind of having to feel a bit uncomfortable um as Fulham fans we're kind of having to sort of brace embrace what is uncomfortable and kind of a bit foreign to us you know not having our captain in the team not having Mitrovic um even making the squad um and and as fans we're kind of on this journey of learning what's kind of happening under Scott Parker and and with players I guess and, and with the players, and there's kind of no room for this kind of sentimentality in the Premier League, I guess, that we're having to learn and the players are having to learn. And, and to succeed in the Premier League, you've got to be ruthless. And I guess we saw that with the team today against Liverpool, you know, new faces and and kind of stalwarts that have been in our team on the bench, like Kearney. And, um, and, but it's paying off. And, and um, so, yeah, we're just kind of bearing the fruits of Scott Parker's experience that people seem to think he doesn't have. OK, well, we're going to take a quick break. And then afterwards, we've got a load of great questions to get through. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley. Hello. Cam Ramsey. Happy Sunday. And Izzy Barker. Hello. By the way, it was a lovely tribute today uh, for Papa Booba Diop before the game. Um, it's exactly to the day the, um, when he scored uh, in 2004 against Man United at the Cottage. So a really fitting tribute, the performance today. And just, you know, that minute's applause before the match as well was uh, was absolutely beautiful. And I noticed he was on the uh, cover of the programme as well, which was a, a lovely touch by, by the club and uh, a fine tribute to uh, a fine player for Fulham. Um, Drew... I'm going to fire you up here because you probably haven't seen this, but uh, here's Jurgen Klopp's uh, quotes that he gave to Five Live after the match just now. Fulham didn't play the way they usually play. It was just long balls. What do you say to that, Drew? Um, right, so this this really does wind me up because <laughs> <laughs> Jurgen Klopp makes, has, has you know... Uh, has made his career in two ways, one on the pitch and, and, and one off the pitch by being this, this media savvy, affable, fake teethed, you know, tosser. And, you know, <laughs> by saying things like that, he just makes himself look clueless. He makes himself look like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he makes himself look like an ungracious, uh, I was going to say loser, but an ungracious drawer on this occasion because he didn't get what he wanted. Um, he's wrong. You know, it wasn't a smash and grab today. It was a really, comp- it was a really accomplished, uh, performance on, on the champions from a, from a team, from a side that wasn't expected to get anything. Uh, you know, we've shown this season that we have many strings to our bow. And at the end of the day, one or two long balls for a start, uh, you know, absolutely fine. If you can change your style, uh, from one game to the next and get a result like we did today, then that's fine. Uh, and if they weren't pre- prepared enough to uh, be ready for whatever Fulham side that they had, then, you know, that's that's their lookout. But, uh, you know, I saw a lot more than just long balls today, let me tell you that. And uh, and I was on a shitty string. So, you know, <laughs> there we go. 
So I'm not annoyed at all, Andrew. <laughs> no, uh, really calm about the situation. Um, right, let's come on to some questions. I just saw that on Twitter. I was like, I will give that one straight to Drew. Uh, right, I'm going to go to you on this one, Cam, because uh, you are a man for the superlative and an adjective. Uh, this one from Matt Roberts. Uh, is Anguissa the best centre midfielder outside the top eight? And question two, by how much? Angrisa is a baller beyond compare. And I'd say if you were to stack at least 100 Patrick Vieiras on top of one another, they would not surpass his greatness. Honestly, he's he's a general. The guy is a leader, a borner. He's just incisive. He's deceptive. He's everything you expect from a modern-day Premier League uh, midfielder. And uh, for me... He, he he's the embodiment of Musa Dembele, um, the great man Papa Bouba Diop, and um, he, he's he's all of them rolled into one. And I, I I can't speak highly enough of the guy. So yes, for me he's the best midfielder outside the top six or eight. But then again, he can also uh, weave his magic in the best teams or so-called best teams in this division with, without a doubt, effortlessly. He is uh, he's my guy. He's my guy, honestly. He is a true hero. Um, a lot of the questions today are, are people looking for praise about a particular player. I think we're going to get around pretty much the whole team by the time I've done the questions. So uh, Izzy, I'll go to you on this one. This one's from Liam White. He says, didn't stand out as much as Lamina, Decadova, Reed or Adorabayo today, but I loved Aina's quick crossfield balls and thought he was very positionally sound. Does he keep his place once Tete's fit, particularly if we are less reliant on aerial service into Mitro when we go forward? Um, Aina was very much seen as this stopgap when Tete um, got injured. Tete played in the week for the under 23. So clearly his comeback is imminent um, into the first team. But I was thinking this during the game, Aina hasn't done a lot wrong to lose his place. But then again, if Scott's shown one thing this year is he doesn't have massive sentimentality. Yeah, exactly. But no, I, I thought he actually had a brilliant defensive game. I picked up on that and I thought he was doing a really good job of kind of snaffling up Mane and, and they barely, if you think about it, they barely really had a sniff and it, it just kind of all came to him looking, you know, look really calm. And, um, and I don't know if you kind of noticed that from the offset. I feel like when he was, um, when they were doing the tribute at the start and when he walked out and it's all kind of, kind of new for him, the Fulham kind of fan culture and everything. And he looked like he was really thriving off that. I don't know if that made him seem a bit more confident, but um, yeah, I think that definitely reflected, but I feel like everyone at the back looked so much more comfortable. And um, I think maybe that's to do with Anderson probably, probably um, injecting a bit of organisation and calmness into them all. But yeah, I, I was really pleased with Aina today and I, I would keep him in. Um, I mean, Jacob Wong asked the question, Drew, on a similar line. He said, where does Tete fit into this new back four and a half? Which I like, actually. Back four and a half is a great expression, Jacob. Um, but it's, do you, you know, does Tete get his place back if, let's say, he's fit for the Brighton game? Um, it, there's a lot of layers, isn't there, to it? There's the um, the undoubted quality of Tete and the fact that he's been brought in on the permanent. He's He is our player and, and Ayn is obviously not. But I think if um, if there's one thing you don't do... Uh, it's the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think um, it's not going to do Tete any harm whatsoever to get fully, fully fit and wait for Aina to uh, slip up or have a dip in form or whatever it is um, before he comes in. Uh, there's no rush, is there, at the moment. Um, it's it's working well. Um, we know that Aina can also uh, swaz one in every so often. Um, so he's definitely got uh, he's definitely got one or two items in his locker that we can we can tap into. So uh, ultimately, Tete, you know, is going to be our uh, our, our fullback going forward um, and, and in the future. Um, so there's no rush for me. Um, he'll come in eventually, but I don't think we need to do it yet. Speaking of swazzing them in, I thought uh, Aina was very unlucky not to win match of the day goal of the month uh, for that one against West Brom. It went to Danny Ings. And I I think Aina's was a better strike, but clearly I'm biased. Um, Drew, I'll stick with you on this one. Uh, Vincent Leander says, can someone actually explain to me how he signed Tosin Arabaya for such a, a small fee and how long before Real Madrid come calling? I love after a result like this when all the superlatives come out, but it was another top performance from Arabaya. Actually missed quite a good chance from a header in the second half from a corner. I thought he, he had a free header, basically. I thought he could have done a lot, lot better with it. But anyway, um, defensively, sound once again. He was good against City as well, wasn't he? seems to be the kind of player that's often in the right place at the right time and makes it look effortless. 
He is, and and he's sort of he's growing as every game goes on. At the, at the beginning, you could see he was uh, so competent and was a great uh, a great addition when we sort of brought him in initially. But there was one or two uh, sort of moments of naivety, I guess. There was that cross ball, uh, cross box ball at the beginning of the Everton game where you just think, you know, you have got a couple more years experience and you're not going to do that. Um, but it's going to be one of those big mysteries as to how we get a young, uh, a young centre back uh, for that for that money from from a, one of the top uh, six. Especially when, if you think back, uh, you know we were struggling with our centre back recruitment. If you believe Tony Khan, how uh, you know people are getting COVID and all these different things, and we're looking at fifth, sixth, uh, seventh choice recruits, uh, you'd think that Man City would sort of read the tweets and uh, think, well, we got them over a barrel here. Let's whack on another couple of million, but uh, but. But they didn't. Uh, why? Well, we don't know. But obviously, we said at the time you only have to look at the reaction of the uh, the club, the selling clubs fans, that to know that you've got a, a bargain on your hands. Uh, will he be with us for the long term? Well, it really depends on how he does going forward. But at the moment, uh, you know, so far so good. And if he uh, if he does go, then we'll hopefully get <laughs> a damn sight more than the one point nine mil we got him for. Apparently, there's a bit of a um, a connection with Tosin and Scott. I think. They've known each other for a while or something. And last year um, at Blackburn, apparently Scott was keeping like a big eye on him. And so maybe that's why, I don't know, maybe he pulled the strings and that's why we got him for so cheap. But yeah, he, he's going to add a lot of value to himself as well. So that's really good for us if we, if we do let him go. Well, I guess that's the value, isn't it, of having a player like Scott Parker who is well-connected and, you know, there's a big debate in football as to whether these appointments of the likes of Lampard, Gerrard, Parker, um, Arteta, who, you know, straight out of the game really work. But having those connections like Parker does, you know, clearly, you know, breeds dividends sometimes. It did with Onoma and, and as you say, may have done with, with Adarabayo. Um, Izzy, Josh Whitcomb asks, a question for the pod, wasn't it nice to have fans back at the cottage for the Liverpool match so they could bear witness to one of the world's best right-backs, Bobby Decadova-Reed? Um, we've, we've, we've kind of analysed Decadova-Reed, so I won't ask you too much more on his performance, but how great was it to have the fans back at, at the cottage today? Obviously, none of us actually got a ticket for, for the game, and actually only Jack Kelly from the entire podcast actually managed to get a ticket for, for the Liverpool game. Uh, we were very unlucky in the ballot, uh, I must say, for, for today. Um, but just even watching on the telly, it was it was magnificent to have 2,000 fans there, and and the noise they made was, was really impressive, considering, you know, it's what a tenth of the ground at full capacity yeah it was it was so nice like, it honestly did make me a little bit emotional and my dad was lucky to get one of the tickets and like he was getting a bit emotional about it it's it's sad but I don't know I feel like just kind of seeing everyone together and what everyone's kind of been through and and seeing a lot of the players that haven't been there when the when the fans have been there like was quite emotional as well and um and yeah, it felt it felt like so many more fans were. Um, it felt like so many more of them were there, and um, they were really thriving off that. And apparently, that was something that Scott touched on that it just changed the kind of energy and the dynamic. And maybe when we were going forward, we just kind of looked like a, a whole new animal because we had this kind of it's uh, it's so cliche harping back to fans, but um, had them there, kind of like cheering them on. And um, and yeah, then Bobby Reed just looked was being asked a lot of on that right-hand side. He's kind of wing-back, right-winger, and at times somewhere in between. And he was obviously thriving with the fans as well. It really, really was great. And I love the fact that we've managed to get them at both ends as well. So you've kind of whatever end Fulham are attacking, there is a fan presence behind those goals. I mean, I generally think that when the, the cottage and some of our greatest nights were when uh, the Hammersmith and Putney ends were, were filled with Fulham fans. And uh, this is only uh, adding to my argument that potentially uh, the Putney end is not the best place for away fans. But that's a debate um, for, for another time. Drew, um, it really just makes such a difference. It, it's over nine months since we saw Fulham last play at Craven Cottage at uh, that 2-0 win over Preston North End. And little did we know that day that it would be such a long time before we went back to Craven Cottage. And, you know, a really great opportunity for those 2,000 fans that, that got to go. And uh, I guess it'll be another big occasion on Wednesday, assuming it all goes ahead with fans. Yeah, I, you got the, we all know the cliches of the 12th man, but it's almost like a, 
a fascinating experiment to show the impact that a crowd has on 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 a team because we came out the traps so fast today and it really set the tempo for that first half where we really didn't give Liverpool a sniff and we were we were all over them and we weren't giving them any time at all and that, I honestly think that's obvious that's down to the fans I think that it really gave everybody such a boost and you know bearing in mind as well you're not getting any away fans in there so it's uh, it's all Fulham all of the time and I just think uh, you know you're not going to get that all the time so I think we need to make the most of this half in half out uh, scenario where uh, as long as we're in tier two we're just getting all of the fans in there was one of the games uh, just after lockdown ended I think it might have even been Brentford actually the first game back with no fans and we lot we got we, we lost 2-0 and you could just all you could hear at the full-time whistle were the the Brentford fat cat directors and the and the, 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 the <laughs> coaches and stuff all guffawing and patting each other on the back so hard that I'm surprised they weren't paralysed. It was horrible. So it's lovely to get, you know, all of us in there and just, you know, smother them. And I think that's going to be crucial on Wednesday against Brighton. It really is. And speaking of Brighton, we're going to take a quick break and we're going to look ahead to Wednesday's game. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy James here with Drew Heatley, Izzy Barker and Cam Ramsey. So just before we end the podcast today, uh, a quick look ahead to Brighton on Wednesday. Uh, Feels like first time in forever that Fulham have had a a midweek match. I guess we had those ones in the cup earlier in the season, but an important midweek match. It uh, feels very much like being back in the championship and and a massive game, Cam. Um, Brighton, um, as as we speak, are are two points ahead of Fulham. Obviously, we don't know what their result is against Leicester at the time of recording, but there is a chance, if things went our way, that we could overtake Brighton into 16th. And, you know, it's, it's a huge match. We've come through these four games that very much not winnable ones and and suddenly we're presented with an opportunity actually where we probably are expecting Fulham to get three points it's a slightly different dynamic in that sense where there's going to be a bit more pressure on the team no completely right Uh, you want to approach each game with the same attitude and treat it as a cup final as such I mean Brighton uh, they're a team, obviously, that um, they're going to be in and around the positions that we are, and they're struggling to find a little bit of form themselves uh, coming through the games that we've had recently. Of course, none of us were expecting to pick up a single point against Leicester, uh, Man City and Liverpool, but um, we've managed to uh, scramble away with four, and that must play on Brighton psychologically, knowing that we're obviously finding our feet in the Premier League and with the talent we have, you know, at our disposal and the personnel that we have, uh, they're, they're going to be expecting a very, very difficult encounter at Craven Cottage um, come Wednesday. And I'm just looking at them now. I mean, as we speak, as as, as the pod's recording, they're actually 2-0 down against Leicester. So They're actually 3-0 down. They're 3-0 down, beg your pardon. Well, yeah. that just uh, throws everything out the window. But they're going to they're going to have a point to prove against us you know we're, we're fellow basement boys uh, in, in in some respects so they're going to want to stamp a little bit of supremacy upon us uh, they're only a couple of points ahead of course but I fancy our chances especially after the way we played in the last three games and even before that we've uh, really shown some resolve and resilience and I honestly don't know where Brighton are going to find any kind of uh, any kind of upward inflection uh, heading into Wednesday night so we'll just see how it goes but yeah, I, I, I'm very, very confident with the way that we, uh, we're playing at the moment. We give them a very, very good game. Izzy, how would you approach this tactically if you're Parker? We, we found this system that is, um, you know, playing this kind of four and a half at the back as, uh, as Jacob Wong on the uh, questions coined. And I, and I really like it. But the uh, Jack talked about it in Thursday's pod about how the pressure is going to be on us to keep the ball and, and display our dominance on on Brighton so could we see a few changes for for this match and maybe a slightly uh, a slight tweak tactically from Parker yeah of course definitely going into it I think Brighton have been actually really unlucky I think this is going to be the game that tactically we've got to show okay yeah we can back it up you know we've taken it to big six sides but yeah we've got to back it up against the likes of Brighton if we're going to stay in this league so yeah we may see a few tweaks but I think it's going to come down to um coming coming down to really kind of gritting our teeth with this game because with Brighton what they do is they just they just ride it out right until the end they get those late penalty those penalties those late goals it's going to be interesting to see maybe I would personally start Harrison Reed over Lamina 
I think that would suit Brighton's style a bit better. But um, yeah, it's going to be about weathering the storm with Brighton for sure, because they've been really unlucky with games like Chelsea and things like that. They probably should have a few more points than they do. But they don't have that real kind of star man. They don't have that real talisman striker. So um, yeah, fairly the same. But I'd maybe just start Harrison Reed over Lamina personally. Well, that was uh, Ryan Burns' question answered. So uh, thank you very much, <laughs> Izzy. Uh, and Drew, um, are you confident of a win on Wednesday? Is there a danger of overconfidence going into this one? massively it's the, probably the biggest one of the biggest obstacles that we've got I think as we were saying earlier you know we had all of these games where nobody expected us to get anything from and the pressure was off at least from the outside and playing a team in and around you where you've got a real chance as it stands to overtake them with a win uh, it brings its own set of challenges um, and I think uh, and, and, and overconfidence is certainly one of them and it's like uh, Izzy said that you know Brighton play uh, in a different way to uh, to some of the big teams and we're going to be expecting to have more of the ball so will our four and a half at the back sort of counter-attacking uh, our new penchant for counter-attacking is that going to be the best way to to tackle Brighton uh, it, you know these are all things that, that Parker needs to think about and obviously if his answer is no then you're going to see more changes but it's it's very difficult to upset the apple cart when things are going well. So I think there's a real big three, four, uh, two, three, four days, however long it is, coming up for Parker and some big decisions for him to make. Uh, but at the moment, to be honest, you know, I trust him with my I trust him with my son, so he can he can do what he pleases. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm confident in his ability to figure it out ahead of ahead of Wednesday. Oh, brilliant! Okay, well, that's all for the podcast today. Um, always a weird one when we have to record straight after the games it feels like you don't have uh, a lot of time to, to let things really really soak in but uh, we will be doing a podcast on Thursday uh, myself Jack and Peter Rutzler will be looking uh, back at that Brighton game and then looking ahead to the Newcastle game the game's coming thick and fast as Christmas approaches um, the podcast name for today um, I haven't had as I said loads of times to look through all the best ones but I did like, and I know you guys enjoyed it as well, uh, Ishan MS's one on Instagram, which was Lads Showed Carragher, which is that kind of like double play on the on the three-word review. So uh, well done, Ishan. Great pod name today. Uh, to Drew Heatley, thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, sorry, Liverpool. Viva Roy Hodgson. Uh, see you later. <laughs> You said um, during one of the breaks that you're worried that someone could remix some of your rants into Park Life today. And I'm, I'm very much hoping that uh, someone with some audio chops and a bit of time on their hands over the next uh, couple of days uh, can, can muster that up. To Cam Ramsey, thank you very much. No problem, mate. Always preferred Everton anyway. <laughs> uh, and Izzy Barker, thank you very much. Oh, that was so, so sweet. Thank you very much. A very enjoyable podcast. Uh, I'll finish you with a tweet that uh, just came in a, a few moments ago, which was uh, Max Bryson, who said the upcoming episode of the at Fulhamish pod is going to be flames emoji. Uh, Max, all I can say is I hope it's lived up to expectations. Have a good start of your week. If you have a ticket for Wednesday, really hope you enjoy it. Come on, you whites. <laughs>